0: What's up, fellas? We're back. Got another episode of the Soccer Dad Pod coming at you. Uh, rolling in with um little Who in honor of CSI, just because it was one of my favorite shows. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, pretty much all great songs were stolen by some show at some point, right? Yeah. Um, the Who got paid <laughs> themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, We've got a great episode here um, that I'm fully expecting to be uh, Storytelling Central, um, uh, so be prepared, sit back, pour yourself a drink, uh, get comfortable, um, because you're going to love this one. It's going to tie generations of St. Louisans to the, to, to the pod here today. Uh, to my left and far left in this order, I've got Jared Bertrand and Zach Lewis. How you doing, Jared?
1: Excellent. How are you?
0: doing great. You uh, bought me a beer, so I'm doing better today. What? Yeah. He said, hurry up.
2: Zach's not here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Miller <These> Lite. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, predictable. It is predictable. You know, it's like uh, I, I spoke to a, a classroom of kids today over at Hickson. Uh, a friend, a musician, asked me to come in and talk about social media and branding and He's like, you know, if you have one piece of advice for content, what would you say? I'm like, just be consistent. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just do it over and over and over again. And that applies to whatever you do in life. Be consistent. You'll always get better at it. Um, so, yes, Miller Lite, very predictable. Good. Um, so, we're coming off uh, last episode. Um, let's see here. Last episode was Thursday. Jim Leaker. Jim Leaker. Mm-hmm. Uh s- st louis soccer hall of fame president um we you know we we great episode kind of going back much further than i had anticipated and it was just it was fun to hear it because it kind of lends to the credence and everything that we've been doing up to this point to kind of continue to explain uh illustrate and add to the foundation that is st louis soccer in general and you know if anybody's going to give us additional ammo jim would and did
2: well, i loved how he brought in the concepts of bringing some folks over from europe during the 60s that also then became coaches within the area that really kind of shaped or the modern view of of what soccer is and that kind of ties into our current or upcoming conversation as well but i really liked that tie to the the ancient history of soccer in st louis meaning pre-1960 going back into the, the turn of the century and all the way up. And I just think it's, it just reiterates the, the structures that were, were built and are continuing to be, to be built. And it's just exciting.
0: Well, I think, I think the one thing that this, this whole process, this whole trip down <clears throat> dad pod lane, for lack of a better term, is it's like it, we're just kind of ec- expanding the understanding of all of the nuances and kind of all of the uh, the neighborhood roles, the, you know, e- everything that comes into play. I mean, it's 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 like a uh, great American bouillabaisse story with soccer as the spine. Um, and as much as we all think we know or understand it, having been close to it our whole lives, it, we don't. Realistically, we don't. No. We have no idea. No. You know, and, and that's the cool thing about it, which brings us... Up to our guest, um, I you know there's just no other way to roll this in. I mean, we've got we we have sitting with us, winning winningest coach in high school soccer history, um, a rival, wrong side of the river rival, right? <laughs> um, really, just a legend in the St. Louis soccer community. Uh, there's not uh, there's probably a line of Thousands of young men, right? Uh, that would vouch for you in a second. And old men. And old men. Um, we have Mr. Terry Mickler. How are you, Terry?
3: I'm good, JB. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today and speak with Jared and Zach and yourself.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know we have we, in in constructing this whole show and the concept. We, we we had a list of all right. Let's throw some names out there, and you you are a page winner. Um, and then as we had some guests on, Godian, Go, Go, Gonad, as you call them <laughs> Uh, in particular, it was, you know, it was a no-brainer, because you've had such an influence on the overall scene, but specifically at CBC, <clears throat> excuse me, for how many years?
3: I finished 51 this year on the field. 48 51. in the classroom and 51 on the field.
0: That's, that's insane. I mean... Just let's, let's, I I use this term a lot, but let's start at the finish line. Fifty, 51 years, you know, still fun, having fun. Oh, absolutely. W- where, where, where are you at in it right well, we now?
3: We lost the last damn game of the year, so that, you know, that leaves a bad taste in your <laughs> mouth. So can't wait for next year to start. No, no, I'm, a, you know, I think I call consider myself to be a life, lifelong learner. I've learned a lot more outside of school than I ever did in school, you know, and, and, um, I sit and watch games, and I got a notebook next to my desk, my chair, and taking notes. You know, notebook after notebook just fill up with that drills or ideas, just to try to make the game better and, and the kids better at it. You know, there's just so much to learn out there; it's unbelievable.
0: So, so let's go. Let's go to the beginning, then. We, you know, and, and then we're done. And thank you for coming out. <laughs> uh, Fifty-one years as a coach. How'd you get there? Why? Why CBC? Well, how'd that play out? Wow, that's
3: interesting. Well, Why CBC first is a story. In eighth grade, uh, the nun that we had at the school went, yeah, took a day and said, okay, let's talk about where you guys are going to go to high school. Where do you want to go to high school? So she calls on me and said, I think I want to go to St. Louis High. And that was because my dad had a co-worker. They were friends. The co-worker had a son who was at St. Louis High. So we followed St. Louis High around for like my sixth and seventh and eighth grade year. And the good sweet nun said, yeah, maybe you want to think something else. You know, maybe maybe slough isn't for you. So, she suggested CBC. So I went to CBC, and uh, you know, that was the first big break right there. Second big break was uh, I went to okay. So I started at five years old playing soccer. I grew up in North St. Louis in Normandy. Played through grade school, you know. Played the soccer, to basketball, to baseball, like everybody did back then. You know, played everything in the street, and had a bicycle, and was going from sun up till sundown, like all of us were. You know, living the way the, it
1: should be, living yep. a good
3: life. back <laughs> yeah, then. sure. Yep. You know, and uh, through through grade school, everything was fine. And uh, high school came around with CBC. Um, had a good career. at CBC played football and soccer both. Uh, at that time, soccer was a was a winter sport. as as you guys might remember that. Mm -hmm. So you could play football. Um, And also outside of the high school, played club ball with Dave Berwin. And I think that was a huge, huge, I don't think, I know, that was a huge turning point for me and anybody else that ever played for Dave because he he taught us the game in a different way. You know, that was like a a revelation, like, okay, I'm into this. I really like this. Um, Then from high school, then I went to – uh, college went to Rockers College in Kansas City, which was college then now it 's university you know? mm-hmm. um, and then I, from then I got the chance to play with the Kansas City Spurs, which was really a good experience singing in game time uh, got practice time, got mono about midway through the season, and that wiped out the second half of the season. but I was one of two Americans on the team, and everything else was from everywhere. And that was an incredible learning experience. It really was. It really was.
1: That's the early days of the NASL when they had the rule where they had to have, what, two or three Americans on the team? Three Americans
3: on a team. The way the rule was structured, which never, ever materialized, was that it was going to work itself around to where there was only three foreigners on the team. Yeah. That never happened. Uh, that it, never happened.
1: How long was the rule? Like I like, don't think it got you know, to year two. Two hours? <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So year one, that was year one. Year two, I was looking to play some, but... Uh, Uh, The U.S. Army had other plans, and that was the year of the draft. 1969, I graduated college. It was the first year of the military draft, not the athletic draft. And I had a number of 110, which was going to be bye-bye time, you know, for sure. And uh, I knew that. But I was also coaching a high school in Kansas City, Bishop Hogan High School. And one of my players, his dad was a colonel in the Kansas National Guard and they had just got back from Vietnam they had just deactivated you couldn't you couldn't buy your way into a you know reserve unit at that time so you know push came to shove my luck came through got me in this Kansas National Guard you know kept me out of having to go to, to, to Vietnam which I I don't mean to say it in a negative way because I mean I'm, I got I honor every one of those guys that went over there and and you know, I thank God for them. Um, but anyway that gave me a chance. Rockers, excuse me, CBC called me when I was in Kansas City, 1969. I think it was right around the time I got going through all this stuff. I'm in the Spurs office, Kansas City Spurs. They called and offered me a job coaching the sophomore team. And from the time I left CBC, that's all I want to do is go back and, and teach and coach. That was my goal. I told them no. I couldn't hardly look myself in the mirror afterwards. It's like, what the hell are you doing? You're just giving, <laughs> giving up with your dream what? job, you know?
0: <clears throat> what was her name?
3: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that, that <laughs> passes, you know, so I, I get to break with the eighth grade nun telling me don't go to Salu, go to CBC, okay? And I get to break with the, with the with the military thing. And then, then CBC calls back the sec- second year, the coach, who was my coach, Bob Hargan, I uh, rubbed somebody the wrong way, and, and it was, was gone. Now the varsity job was open. So they called back. I was with the Kansas City Spurs. They had folded that year, wow, second what year. what timing. Oh, yeah. I said, I'm here yesterday. Count me in. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my start. That was my start. I took over a team that— uh, What year was that? That was—the first year I was back at CBC was 1971-72. 71, 72. wow. Yeah. And uh, the, the year before me, they were 39-2-2. And I came in and dumped it down to twenty-five and four, and I thought, well, they're going to show me the door real fast here. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa! whoa. Sorry, let me. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Thirty-nine two and two. Yeah, yeah. So they, they played forty-three it. games yeah, in one yeah, year yeah. in high yeah, school soccer. No,
3: there was no limit. There was no limit. There was no limit.
1: And wow. it was and soccer was played in the winter then. Yeah. So it was a winter till seventy-five. Are you playing five games a week? Pretty
3: much so, because uh, Coach Argon would rather play a game <clears throat> than have a practice
1: okay all right. I mean when I
3: played we played regularly we played thirty probably thirty five games a year Wow, yeah, regularly I mean it, you know when you're playing in a winter, you'd rather
0: just play than than practice, right absolutely yeah. so yeah that was that's what, that was that was insane so 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 you land there in seventy one seventy two you're you're you know you kind of did this figure eight through Missouri uh you know back from Kansas City uh growing up in North county. Um, you know, and, and we, we've just heard story after story of the North County presence of all the names uh, that that came out of that region. Um, what, what was the community like at that point? Were you still close with a lot of those other individuals that uh, from up north as you were becoming coach? Did they have any kind of like influence? Uh, over what you were planning to do at CBC, or was this kind of a clean slate type of a thing? See, I, I graduated from CBC in 1965,
3: graduated 70 69, uh, came back to St. Louis in 71, 72. And it's like I've been going 100 a, a, a years. Wow. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, it was catch-up time, and who's this, what's this, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it really flew, was flying by. And uh, as a side note, Back in those days, soccer in Kansas City was brutal. You know, it was it was nothing like we we know soccer to be here. I was really shocked that it was that far behind. Credit to them. Credit to them. <laughs> G- credit to um, them to where they are love. today. You know, full credit. And you mentioned earlier in the intro yeah. about the Englishmen coming over. When I was with Kansas City, the year the first year of the league, they had an introductory season, short season. Where they brought over teams like St. Louis had Kilmarnock from, from uh Ireland, I think it was. Mm-hmm, and right. Kansas City had Wolverhampton from England. Every every city every team in the league had a city had a European team representing them. Yeah. And and Kansas City is where they are today because a lot of the Englishmen over the years stayed on and really it developed the, a different brand of soccer.
0: Well, so let's just get it out of the way because this has been a, a common theme on multiple shows that we, we, we love to hate on Kansas City, and we're going to continue to do that, <laughs> especially in light of Zach's summons uh, for, what did you do this Disregarding time? Disregarding a barricade. Yeah, good job. <laughs> yeah. He goes to the, the Chiefs game and, decide, oh. and gets a letter in the mail saying, you get to come back and pay us 20 bucks for
2: Oh, no. <laughs> I learned my fate. It's more than 20 bucks. Oh, wow. yeah.
0: Well, wow. here's where I'm going with this. You can speak firsthand, uh, having spent the time there, clearly grew, grew up here, um, go, you know, yeah. did, did the loop.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, can we can we put to rest that Kansas City is not soccer capital of America? Never was. Never will be. I mean, they, 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 they are are they they're not even one B. You got
3: to understand the Kansas City mentality first of all. And I know I'll catch a lot of hell for this, but <laughs> if you go to the Chiefs game, you know exactly what I'm oh, talking I know about, what, right? I know. They're, they're blinded by themselves. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know they really don't know the reality of it all. It, but but they're passionate. They're passionate. Very but passionate. Soccer back then was if you play football and you need something to do in the off season, you go play soccer, run around and kick the hell out of somebody, and, and, and that's that's what we're going to do. And that's what it was at first. Yeah, you know. That's what it was.
0: Okay, so so let's so let's x's and o's this thing, Coach. Um, in those days and kind of leading up, uh, you know, late '60s into the '70s, et cetera. Just competitive advantage. What did we do better than them? Because I fully intend on burying Kansas City here for the next couple minutes.
3: <laughs> well, first of all, to my not- well, and I know this for a fact. Kansas City uh, youth teams have not won any significant national championships. And you're giving me a great segue to something that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, the the uh, McGuire Cup. Oh, sure. Under 19. The, uh, p- the be-all and tell-all of, of how good you are or how good you're not, right? Between 1960 and 1980, St. Louis teams won 15 national championships. Yeah. So wow. if none wow. of you were born wow. you know, during that time, that's, it's history, okay? So when people talk today, they don't talk back then. If you talk back then and today, today kind of fades in relation to back then. So from 1980 to 2000, St. Louis won five national championships. And currently from 2000 to 22, they won, I think, three or four.
1: So our listeners are clear. This is the top amateur level. Under regarding. 19, yeah.
3: yeah. Okay. After that, you played senior ball, yes. right? Yep. Um, so to get back to your question, to answer your question. I I've, I've felt this very strongly, and I can give you an example here in a minute. The significant difference to me was back then, you didn't have age-level teams. If whatever age you were, you know, you, you played either under 16 or under 19. And if you were good enough and you played there, then you, you only out. got better, right? Yeah. My story is I had a player of mine years back, Kevin Hudson, familiar name, right? Mm-hmm. Current coach at SMU. Kevin played for me as a freshman on the varsity. We were a state finalist team that year. And Kevin, every game was one of the top three or four players on the field of the 20 field players. Every every game. I so mean, that he,
1: group he was, was what like Jason Pro. That was right um, around then. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Jason sure. Pro. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and but then Kevin went
3: back in, in club ball and played age level, and he played for his uncle Ricky Hudson. God bless him. Rest in peace. And. At one of the game one of the games some of the CBC games I saw Ricky after the game and I said Rick this is none of my business but it's a little bit of my business i want to talk on behalf of Kevin <clears throat> he's proven himself that he can play as a freshman against seniors now he's going to go back and play club ball freshman against freshman whether he wants to or not it's not going to work out very well for him when Kevin came back his sophomore year he would be the first to admit he was horrible he got so used to being lazy and do and getting away with it. Yeah, it was too easy. Yep. And there were many, many times where we had one on ones, and I had to kind of console him, You know, it took Kevin till about end of October before he got back to where he was as a freshman. That that's the difference. I mean, back then, the, the best kids that that we had in, in the areas were all the kids that were young playing up, and and it forced you to be best. You know, I'm a big advocate of Dutch soccer, right? Sure. And one of their one of their premises is. We want. We always want to get the best to play with the best and against the best. That brings out the best. And you don't do that at age level. I mean, and I asked Kevin. I asked Rick. I go, well, "What's the hangup? Why can't? Why can't this happen?" Two reasons: the team he's on won't be as good, so parents aren't going to mm. be thrilled to death with that. And The team he goes to, he's going to bump somebody off, and those parents aren't going to be happy. So it came down to parents on two edges of, this, of the coin that kept this kid back from you know moving on. I mean, he had a great career, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, in Europe that would never happen. Right. Because it's not about this kid's going to help us win a game. This is about how can this team help this kid develop into a, into a top player that we need, a top player at the top level. That's a big difference. All
0: right. So there there's a million loaded questions coming out of that description and sure. that story. <clears throat> let's start with um, let's start with the, the the player pool and kind of the environment that when you became head coach uh, club teams clearly were in existence at all levels and and thriving um, but the what we didn't have back then would be the academy world um, where you know come fall uh, for you and you know the other the other schools you knew you knew you had the players coming um, what was the relationship in the early days to the clubs, because most clubs back then were for the most part community-based clubs, more regionally. And they've spread out over time. But what was the club environment for you as an early coach at CBC and the relationship to those clubs?
3: First of all, there are fewer clubs. And that was, that was another. There's two other points I needed to throw. go back to what you asked in the previous question. One was the Pepsi League, <laughs> if any of you are familiar with the Pepsi oh, yeah. League. We and were
0: vets on the east side. The Pepsi League we couldn't afford when Pepsi. I was,
3: <laughs> when I was like a junior in high school. And I was invited to play on the St. Paul team, which was my neighboring parish I grew up in. But it was in the fall, and I was playing football. But the Pepsi, team, the Pepsi League did this. They chose players. You were selected. That's why I call it select. You're given an ID card. You're told to go to a particular sporting goods, and you would get your gear. There's never no cost. That was it. The best players got that kind of treatment, right? So that was one part of it. The second part of it was there really wasn't all that much club ball. I mean as I looked it up a little bit earlier, Narco started in 69. Bush started Bush and Gallagher started around 76. And then prior to Bu- prior to Gallagher there was Collinsville Volkswagen and uh, Ruiz. Mm-hmm. And Ruiz won a national championship in 76, I think it was. But, but that's the history of, of the club side. So there wasn't the pay-to-play Right. when most of these guys were, were knocking it out, you know. Um, and I think that's a huge difference. Age level, pay-to-play. Um, it seems to – you know, it has an adverse effect to, an, to a degree where I think it takes away some of the motivation of the player and the incentive, you know. What's the incentive? Everybody's kind of got a guaranteed spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead, of, instead of having to go work, work your way up – uh, be challenged
0: for that spot. So the early days of your career, um, you know, in the region, there was a short list of high schools that were always kind of percolating to the top. Um, and over the years, looking back at it, I do find it ironic that, you know, there's there's the, the names yourself, Villa, Baker, et cetera. You, you, you guys all seem to be cut from, in essence, the same cloth. You know, what was what was the relationship between you and, you know, at CBC, your mindset and the other coaches and the other schools that starting in, you know, that 70s time frame, how competitive, uh, you know, where was the rivalry at mentally, uh, physically, obviously on the field it existed. You know, talk a little bit about that. Well,
3: the common denominator then was that we all grew up in the same, same era, right. you know. And the era we grew up in, you didn't have everything, you know. Uh, You had what you needed, and that was plenty. That was good enough for you. So we weren't spoiled at all, you know. And we were competitive. You know, the CYC program growing up was really the the essential uh, nugget to to the competition. Like I said, I grew up in Ascension Parish in Normandy, but we were bordered by St. Anne and St. Paul. One went one direction, one went the other. So that's our natural rivalry. Um, probably every parish that anybody was was in had had the same deal, right? Right. So you, you wanted to be at least, you know, the best in, in your area if, if possible, you know. And then you get into the playoffs and you wanted to be the best in the playoffs. So you grew up with that kind of a healthy respect for competition, you know. And, and we didn't have a lot of formalized play. We didn't have the club stuff growing up. We had parent coaches, but we played a whole heck of a lot on our own. I lived right down the street from Glen Echo Golf Course. Mm-hmm. And we would go up, to, go to Glen Echo, jump the fence, and on the fairways, we'd play whatever the heck we wanted to play. You know, we played all the time. Or We played in the street. We had bases painted in the street. Go a couple houses down, and somebody had a garage with a basket on it. We played basketball, you know, and you make up your own games, and you just compete and play, and uh, you loved it, right? Kids today don't do that. They get, you know, it's, it's a whole different world today. There's no doubt about it. So we, there has to be an adaptation to it. But to get back to your answer, back then there was only about like twenty high schools that played soccer in, in the right. St. Louis area. Today, today you got to have fifty teams to have a division. Now there's four divisions, so do the math, right? Twenty really grew. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of respect for each other as well, because we were all we were all kind of in the same boat trying to trying to make it work. The only, the only difference was each of us had our own different philosophy about how to make it work. You know, but at the end of the day, you wanted you wanted to be better than another guy because you wanted your philosophy to prevail. Uh, but you respected what they were doing as well, and it was a smaller group of, of coaches. And Bakes is a great example. You know, Gene, he did a great job on our side of River, River, at Riverview, mm-hmm. and went over to your side and <clears throat> tore it up. You know, and yeah. um, did a great job at, on the gauntlet. I mean, he had he <laughs> he, he took your mentality Third to pass. to the max. I mean, that, that was a a master masterpiece what he did over there. And the barbecue didn't hurt at all either <laughs> Right, that was unbelievable thanks to the elks <laughs> officially underwrote our team i gotta, i gotta give a
0: shout out to my buddy feeney over from over on your side you know feeney's oh, yeah feeney feeney passed away oh no uh, like four, about f- maybe four or five years ago they were great brothers oh yeah they were there was two brothers that yeah. were um a, l- a little challenged and yeah. they were they were Rainmen. Yeah. They were at every game. Yeah. They knew every one of our numbers, names, yeah. stats. And whenever you know, especially at tournament champions, whenever yeah. all the teams were there, they're on the sideline and in the press box just ripping numbers and you would see, you know, people like yourself yeah. Terry and other coaches like just standing around Feeney's talking to him like
2: Feeney would do, always how say <laughs> Feeney
3: would always say to me, "Hey, coach, is it okay if I say hi to my brother for you from you?" Yeah. I said, "Sure, for sure." <laughs> I just let, "I don't I I don't remember the last time I saw him, but it was like every other time that I saw him.
0: Yeah, that's oh, a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. So, um, it's, so let's 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 move through the timeline here. You know, you 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 took the reins at CBC. Uh, things were coming to fruition. Clearly, soccer at that time uh, was growing exponentially. Um, you know, throughout the region, an, an expansion of club teams, everything else. You get into the late seventies and eighties, and start talk talk about the elevation of the play. The some state titles start coming your way, um, and then and then you've been in long enough. You start to see players that go on to not only you know high NCAA levels, but beyond. Talk about some of those early names, and you know, in the point in which that pride started to. You know, really rear its rear its face in the process. Well, I'm also seeing
3: now guys that I coached. I'm coaching their kids as well, so that's that's part of the cycle as well, <laughs> right?
1: Well, and I got my favorites. <clears throat> I mean, you know, and you know, being growing up here and the, through the '80s and club soccer and high school soccer into the late '90s. Um, I mean, your teams, you know, in the mid '90s with Di Maria and the twins and. You know, those guys, um, I mean, I looked up to. I was, you know, played with them in college. Those guys were excellent. Those teams were excellent. I don't think those guys won a state championship, no, I, though. No, yeah,
3: I'm glad you brought that you up. You
1: know, <laughs> but but then those teams in the early to mid-90s, you know, with I think Josh Khaki was on that team. Sure. I think yeah. uh, Eric Cooster was on that oh, team. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you had multiple Gatorade players of the year. Yeah. These guys went to – Marquee Division One schools out of your program when they were recruiting high school games at a at a you know you probably had to have games those years where you had fifteen D one coaches on the sideline you know
3: interesting story Jerry you bring that you brought you just brought up a whole bunch of points for me but uh, on my my first year nineteen seventy one seventy two Saint Louis hosted the National Soccer Coaches Convention okay and that's a big deal right and and uh, they they and we were playing slew High. And it was like in January. It's always like around January. And we had a bad winter that year. And and, uh, we're going to play at CBC on Clayton Road, which I call the real CBC. (laughs) Some people call it the old CBC. I call it the real CBC. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we're going to play on our place, which was a grass field back then, right? And it was a football field. And by that time of the year, it was pretty torn up. Got a bad, bad snowstorm, right? Well, it melted. And you know what snow does when it melts, Right. Yeah, so we got puddles of water. We got all these coaches, and I still got the notebook in my office about all the coaches that signed up. And it was, you know, all the national coaches so who's are who's. meeting here, right? So, what? How many? So our, our dad group podcast dads pod dads, right? Well, our dad group went out and put <laughs> straw on the field <clears throat> to soak up the water. We played that doggone game on a straw-laden, muddy, surfy, wet field and just wowed everybody. I mean, those coaches left, they, they, they couldn't believe what they saw. I mean, who could, right? Also, to your point, back then, to show you the difference in, in where we are now to where we were then, I could, I could make a phone call to coaches that I knew back then and say, hey, listen, there's this kid at St. Mary's. He's really a good player. You want to take a look at him. Boom, gone, no problem. Hey, there's a kid up north. Good kid. Look at him. Good. Gone. No problem. Today, hey, I got a kid. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> it's it's that much different. I mean, we wow we stand hardly any chance. Also back in the day, in the very beginnings, there were four districts in the state yeah. tournaments. Nineteen sixty nine was the first year for the state tournament. There was the South District, which was C B C, St. Mary's, St. L'Ashue High. Yeah. You know, back then those were, those were we didn't get out of district for a while. Up north there was uh, it was Rosary Aquinas. Yeah. That was a battle. But then their next game automatically every year there for a while was Kansas City. That was a cakewalk. Only four teams, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, they, then it expanded, you know, and then it grew from there. But, boy, oh, boy, back in the early days, it was tough. Throughout the whole 70s, we, it was 78 and, 79, 78 and 79 before we got through district and got into the Final Four. It took that long. And CBC as a school was going through a really rough patch. About the mid 70s, they were on the, on the borderline of continued declining enrollment to the point of are we going to stay open or not? We, we're going to close this thing down or not. We were a military school then, right? right. ROTC school, JROTC. Mm-hmm. And that was the Vietnam era, and there was a whole lot of animosity about military and stuff. We were, we were down to, you know, 400 kids or something. I mean, it was brutal. But then they made a decision, and then that that's, saved the school, brought back up. So, 78, 79, we get to the final four. 80 and 81, we got Daryl Duran, Mike Menendez, yeah. and that group. We lose two years in a row to Viani in the final. Could have, should have won the second one, no chance in the first one. 83, 84, we got Johnny Johnson. We win two two titles in '83, '84, '85 is the third year in a row. We're 17 seconds away from beating Aquinas for three in a row, and we 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 messed up. All we needed was one kick of the ball. Imagine this: <clears throat> 17 seconds ago, we got the ball in midfield, and we got a we got, we've got a soccer tactic. I call it flags. Right? You know, mm-hmm. flags are at the end of the field. When I holler out "flag," that's where the ball needs to go. Well, I got a hero that wants to dribble somebody at the midline, and he got stripped, and the ball went down, and they scored. All it took was one kick.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Johnny Brazzo
3: came down to the fence and goes, "Hey, before this, coach, how's it feel to win three in a row?" Oh, it feels great, Braz. 17 seconds later, don't feel so good. And then that was what, the, that what was year the,
0: was that? That was 80, 85. Is that is statute of limitations up? Are you going to name names? <laughs> no, i will protected. Oh, but
3: that was the Goner goal. We're digging. Then, it. then Goner gets the go, the winning goal. <laughs> At Lindenwood. As in Ken Godat. Yes. Yes, okay.
0: <laughs> imagine this imagine this one. They got yes.
3: one guy with the ball on the left side of the field, sprinting down the field. The nearest next Aquinas guy is somewhere thirty yards away. He crosses the ball into the box. Kenny goes to clear with his right foot. The turf was not so good out there. It hit a seam, bounced over his right foot. Hit the inside of his left heel. trickled inside. No big windups, oh Ken.
1: Gosh. Block it out. No big windups. <laughs> that was the game. That it. was it right there. <laughs> that was
3: it. That was that was eighty five, right? Eighty eight. We won with a really great team, and we had a big battle with Aquinas that year. They had Mike Sorber that year, and yeah, I had uh, Scotty McDonnell and Eddie Pinion, and uh, Mark Dooley was a goalie, wow. and Doug Ferrario and Vince Jitsil. Chattel- that was a good team. On. Oh, wasn't it though? That yeah, was really good. They were big fun names. too. There was so much. Fun. I went to a Poison concert with those guys. That was out of sight. You, you
0: guys were probably at uh, Riverport when uh, Guns N' Roses tore the place <laughs> no, up, weren't you? <laughs>
3: they probably were. There was nothing stopping those. Poison guys. Me, was at the gym.
0: Let me though? let me let me ask you this. Um, you know, we 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 can go on and on and on with the with the games and the names, but what I'd like to do is put you to the task. Uh, you're on a des- deserted island. You get one player. To be your ace.
1: Yeah, I like this question.
0: Fifty one there's gotta be one. There's a you gotta lay him well, down. Let, let's know. do
1: one defense and one offense. Yeah.
0: Well, I've always live with three. I always live with three. Can you have a, a
3: third in between? Yeah, fa- Fair enough. The first one has to be Don Drake. <clears throat> okay. And Don was on my first and second teams. And Don played and used to be first because Don played for like seven different professional teams. Including Washington diplomats with Johan Cruyff. Wow, yep. and he played against Pele and played against his business cards. If you I, ever, I've I, I,
2: I actually have worked with Don on his business side. <laughs> his business card literally, when you flip it on the back side, yeah. it's a picture of him up against Pele.
3: <laughs> our mark, or, or heading up, heading a ball with Canaglia. Yes, yeah, <laughs> our or, or having Beckenbauer yes. shoulder Pele. I mean,
0: shouldn't he have a picture of you handing him a diploma? You know, something like that? I mean, Pele. Uh, who wants Pele? Yeah,
3: no, no, no. <laughs> Donald would be number one. He would be number one. He was so natural. God, he was so natural. And then number two would have to be Daryl Duran. Wow. Um, he was smooth on the ball, too, as Oh, well. my God. But you know what? The story behind Daryl, very few people know, is that he, he had such uh, a terrible condition of arthritis in his toes that he could he could barely play. I mean, he would play a game, and then he had to take take a day or so to off th- to ice it down. He had so many. To this is in high level. school. Yes, yes.
1: And then he plays pro on yes, cement yeah, floors yeah. with a little thin <laughs> carpet story that until there. that you know well, late forties. He, he had he had he had
3: numerous times where during the season where he had to go get shaving on his toe on his toe <sighs> to bone shaped Oh, yeah, gruesome. <laughs> I mean, he was so gifted. And then he, then he has this, cra- this fantastic indoor career, right? Mm-hmm. I asked him one time, I said, Darryl, how in the heck can you do the indoor game with your feet? He goes, you know what? It's so much better on my feet than playing outdoor. Huh. Go, Holy cow. Goes, because, because outdoor is so uneven, <clears throat> and indoor at least it's an even surface. And there's no cleats. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third one is Johnny Johnson. And Brilliant. Johnny was 83. 80. Daryl was eighty-eighty-one. 81. D- Don Drago was 70, my first two two teams, 71, 72. 72-73. That second team that he was on his senior year, our leading scorer was Danny Bozeski with five goals and four assists. Leading scorer. It tells you what kind of a year it was. Wow. We had a lot of one-game goals. Right? And we, we were 12-8-4. It wasn't so good. And then, and then jo- Johnny Johnson. And Johnny won two state championships, and Johnny was the absolute nut. I mean, people came to his graduation just to make sure he was done. Wow. <laughs> so Coach Ray Stahl goes, when's your graduation? I got to be there. I got to make sure Johnson's not coming back for
0: another year. <laughs> so, so you put together your top three in your first two decades of coaching. So the last three decades, all those players are going to be listening to this and being like, oh, come on, coach. Right. And here's my question, because the, the soccer environment changed. Uh, from back then not 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 only just kind of in perceptions in scale But MLS comes along, you know, and we have way more pathways uh, You you have a number of players that have moved up into those ranks. Is it is it a little bit different in evaluating kind of the the chemistry aspect of the early years versus kind of the player development side in the later years um, you know how, how how do you differentiate between the two, the two kind of sex? It's, it's a great question to ask. Uh, in the early
3: days, as you say, when the NA, NASL days were there, there were many, many, many opportunities for players. Players just seemed to to everybody was gravitating for our players. You know, from the St. Louis area, and I had my fair share. I had a lot of guys that played NASL mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, and then you know, then they had some good, they had good careers. You know, they they stayed a, they stayed the course. Um, how did it change, and why did it change? That's, that, that's a tough one. So in the MLS days, I, I've had fewer, had some, not nearly as many, and for not nearly as long. Um, but I think too, the difference then is the difference simply is because from then till now, the number of teams across the country are increasing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you know, people would come into St. Louis and just close their eyes and throw a dart and go, I'll take these guys right here. I don't care who they are. Yep. Sight unseen, I don't know their names. I don't even, don't even need to see them play. And we're going to be competitive. Yes, yeah. and if you get if I get lucky at the right ones, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. You know, Indiana did that. They came in. You know, they started getting a bunch of St. Louis kids combined with some Chicago kids. Well,
1: they had seven on the final four, so they might have did that uh, two years ago too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. uh, but your points uh, valid. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean that's a big, big, big part of it, right there. Is that you know
3: we're back in the day and. Like I said before, it's 1960, 1980, 15 out of 20 national championships from St. Louis. So people are going, what the hell are you guys doing there that's so good? What's in the water? Yeah, right. So I think they, you know, they found a little, <laughs> they found something that worked for them, and then they made it work. But the difference was just the, the growth so, of the game. The I'm going to ask a,
2: a, a different tack of a question, because you're wearing your Dutch Touch shirt. You talked about playing and coaching against Gene Baker and the likes and you've, you've seen the evolution of soccer throughout. This is kind of one of JB's questions that he asks a lot. And it's going to American soccer. <laughs> and the idea that the Americans do not have a style. You, Terry Mickler, have a style. Gene Baker certainly had a style. And then there's all the other thousands of coaches out there that also have their own style and it's not really tied to a specific, I mean, you have your IX hat, you have your, your Dutch touch. I, I think I know where your head is, but can you talk a little bit about the current state of American soccer? And, and we don't have to get in the politics Ooh, side I of like Greg Berhalter or anything. I just want to get your perspective as the winningest high school coach in the history of the sport in this country. What's your take on that question around the style, around the culture within American soccer today?
3: You know, I gave you that information about the McGuire Cup, okay? I yep. think that can kind of transfer over. We failed to capitalize on momentum when we had that opportunity, okay? 2002, the U.S. World Cup team finished in a round of eight. They lost to Germany in a yeah, in a competitive plus. game. It was good. Was yes. Okay? Where, where did the momentum go after that? 20 years later, 2022, Berhalter wants to get put us back on the map. Well, 20 years ago, we were on the map. And where do we go in 20 years? Right. So, you know, where's the momentum? Where's the consistency? Every time there's a there's a change in the hierarchy, there's a whole change in philosophy, and it's a start over. It's always a start over. So now we're in the same kind of a deal. Granted, we, this, previous, this current World Cup team we had, it was young. They were promising. But there's no guarantee. You know, how much will they improve between now and the next four years versus the rest of the world? And how much do they improve? That's the issue that's the so why don't we have a style i don't i think it's because we don't have any real consistency as you said about my dutch and and i x stuff I'm very familiar with a lot of what goes on in that part of the world in soccer, and the k n b b which is the governing body in dutch soccer that's dutchs fifa Dutch yes, national yeah.
0: training t- or national team it's, yeah, yeah
3: yeah yeah, but they have they have uh youth or uh yeah. philosophy. Statement that all the clubs there's about three thousand youth clubs in Holland, which is they're they're just give you an, an idea. There's 16 million people in the population of Holland. We have that many registered soccer players.
0: Right. Yeah, and they're pretty but, good. But but what,
3: <laughs> but what do we do with it, right? And how is it that that country, which is about the size of a postage stamp, can any every time there's a major competition be in the be in the discussion? How is it? It's okay, youth I, development. I was watch. I was watching a, a, a documentary on on IX and uh, and Van Der Sar. Now Evan Van Der Sar is now the executive director of IX, and he said our goal is that when we play a top team in Europe, if they're not interested in our players to buy them, we're not doing a good enough job. And when we yeah. sell a player, we got to have another player right in his line to step in and take his place. So what they do is, and I've been ordered enough to know. In all the little clubs, and every, everybody starts somewhere at a little club. Uh, Frankie DeYoung right now, you know, high item more yeah. he didn't get the Ajax till he was 16. He was floating around in their different clubs in the meantime. Um, I was over there, and one of my trips over there, I saw Wesley Snyder when he was 16 playing on a, on a Saturday on his C-level team, which was age level. On Monday, he played on a reserve team, which was injured first team players, and on the following Saturday, he played on in the first team. In one week, sixteen years old, yeah. you know, and and some of the, the the more experienced players they have, when they have opportunities to leave, a number of them have, have I've, I've seen this in in different uh, uh, ways, shapes, and forms, refused the opportunity to leave because they said, "quote, they hadn't finished their education yet, soccer education." Wow. Boy, that's a term we don't have around here, isn't it? <laughs> no. So, so there's, a, there's a pattern, okay? There's a consistency. There's a developmental model. And, and my buddy Jan, who's my uh, co-founder with Dutch Touch, says that you could take a kid in Holland from any part of the country at a particular age, and if, they, if the family moves to a different part of the country and gets, gets on another club team, it'd be like they're in the same place. You know the different uh, different coach, but same coaching, same style, same coaching. Yes, because there's a style, and the KNVB over, oversees that to the extent that if the if the, the first of all the coach has got to be licensed in the clubs. Secondly, there's there's promotion relegation in the youth clubs. Third, if there's standards, and the and, and the KNVB monitors those standards. If the teams don't adhere to those standards, they're suspended. They're put on suspension.
0: Well, do you I see mean, that? Do you see that
2: outside of Holland? I would imagine it's the same or similar in in Germany and Spain. But do you have insight into those countries, or is, is yours pretty I, much?
3: I'm really strictly, I mean,
0: primarily Holland. Yeah. You know? Well, let me let me ask a quick closing uh, question before our halftime break, which is uh, code for we're out of beer, and we'll be back in a second. <laughs> um, sticking with the U.S. national team. Um, In your opinion, given, and I'm going to load the front end of this question here, uh, if you look at our top 25 players, um, arguably 22 to 24 of them are playing currently in Europe on Saturdays and Sundays, primarily in England and the Netherlands and Germany. Um, Why does it make sense to hire a European coach over an American? Why? Does it make sense? Yes. Well, for the next for the next head coach,
3: I know you're familiar with the name Tom Beyer because Gody uh, yes. brought that one up, and I've had uh, I've had the privilege of being able to interact with Tom Beyer on a couple of occasions. On we we had like four or five podcasts with him, and. Uh, and his whole thing is that uh, every team that's won the World Cup, there's been eight countries that have won the World Cup. Out of, out of 211 countries and 22 World Cups, there's only been eight, eight teams that have won. Mm-hmm. Every team that's won has had a coach from that country, number one. Yep. Okay. And I think part of that part of that, t- deals with culture. Here, here's, here's my take on that. When you bring a foreign coach in to, to do a job like this, they bring with them their ideas, their philosophies, their mentality, their approach, right?
1: Hopefully their style that we're going to develop. Well, they're going to so bring it. They're going to bring
3: that. Now, you know. the, the, the problem, though, is how well is what they bring accepted? Are they accepted for what they bring or are they challenged?
1: Well, who cares? It's their way or the highway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but, if you but, want to play in the World Cup, then buy in.
3: Well, yeah, but you, there's layers and layers and layers of politics, yep. and there's culture. The, the biggest thing is – you, it's so hard to fight against the culture. That's, but, that's the biggest problem.
0: But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, though, if, if, if our uh, A-flight players are literally converting on a daily basis their own personal cultures to the European lifestyle, to the European game, to the European speed and style, there are arguably more coaches in the marketplace that are closer to the majority of our best players um, you know, but fr- from a career coaching standpoint, then it, it, you take the, t- the top three prospects that are American coaches. It, it, it feels as if you know, uh, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, one of those things. Because we keep,
2: yeah. T- but I, I, I mean, we. Here's the thing: you 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 go for both worlds, and you just hire Jesse Marsh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, there's he's coaching in Europe for two different. He hasn't won anything. Let's hire somebody that's won something. Well, I, I, I yeah, but then you don't have any Americans. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the reality, when, when, and I
3: can tell you this for a fact: when when I visit with Holland, people there don't even realize that we really seriously play soccer. So you know, to put a coach in that situation, yep. he's take he's putting himself at a big risk. Oh yeah. You know, if he can pull it off, he's a winner. But if he if he can't. He might have trouble recovering from that. So there's there's a gamble there. There's Who's, a big-time gamble.
0: So uh, one name. Who's the name? You get to pick. You are your commish. Name oh the coach.
3: Gosh, gosh that, that, that oh man, put me on the spot on that one.
0: Well, I tell you what, here's what we'll do. You can think about it because I'll roll into the break and force people to listen to this fine commercial. Let me ask you this while you're thinking about that. Do you think an American college coach
2: could be a difference maker? Because we've always hired people who have been pro coaches, either MLS or, or in Europe. Yeah, We haven't gone down the college route. And they have, I think, a similar challenge to what American high schools do now in that they're dealing with very different circumstances and a culture.
0: I don't know. He's there, not smiling. No, something. no. I know.
3: There's just such a different level. i just reading a book right now, and it's talking about in 1994, U.S. hosted the World Cup, yep. right? So the consensus around the world was, okay, now they got a taste of it with the biggest population possible, highest gross national product, with all the resources, everything going on, watch out for the U.S., but in the meantime, what has the U.S. done? Sputtered, 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 right? They're still watching out. Look at Croatia. Yeah. Look at Uruguay. Watch out for China. They're the next one because they just had Tom buyer to, to do in China what he did in Japan, which is entry level, starting at the entry level, yeah. teach it right, be patient. China's, China has a goal to be competitive in the World Cup by 2050, 2050. They're not looking for the microwave. They're looking for, for, the, uh, pr- uh, for the pressure cook, for the uh, pot wow. Well, I tell well, you climate what. Climate change. <clears throat> we're
1: not even going to be existing. <laughs> so. but, I mean, that's, that's what they're willing to do.
3: So that's what they're willing to do.
0: Well, we're going to roll out with a little CCR in honor of uh, 1969, and your number didn't get called too far there. Uh, Terry, thank you so far for your time. It's halftime. You can't go that far. Uh, we'll come back with some more uh, conversation. Thank you. I heard you guys are. Hey everyone, JB here with the Soccer Dad Pod. This break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity. Little did you know that we are accepting sponsors. Really. And as a sponsor of the show, you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccer dad at gaslightstl.com. Now back to the mindless banter. Social and political import. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Ready? Another, uh, 1969
1: classic, right? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me
0: Come on, Jared. Mercy For all of you listening bands, that made it this far, Jared is porches. on point with the karaoke version. Hard all, my all right, I'm done messing around with Jared. <laughs> friends? <laughs> we are back with Mr. Coach, uh, teacher, uh, Mr. Terry Mickler. Um, Terry, again, thank you for joining us for this. This is this has been a lot of fun so far. We got we got a second half to play here, um, and we probably only you know scratched the tip of the notebook there, right? Um, I, I, it was funny because I, I didn't tell you guys this, but when uh, Terry and I have been going back and forth a little bit via text, kind of preparing, get the date right, get the location right, get all that stuff, and. The you you were sending me um, clips, you know things that it's and it was uh, some were philosophical about the game. Others were just hey, you know here's a uh, the the Pulisic image and yeah. things like that. It's like, and I'm thinking to myself like it it it, it is that generation of coach slash teacher because those are things that Coach Baker would do 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 the same thing very very cerebral. When do, you not, when, when do you turn it off, or are you always coaching and teaching? I had a
3: terrible night's sleep last night just anticipating all the possible things that could be said and that, <laughs> that I would have wanted to elaborate on and develop. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't stop. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't stop. When, once it does, then I think I'm in trouble because it keeps me going. Like I said before, I watch stuff. I got a notebook next to my chair you know i I just jot stuff down you know take it for, and I'd send kids stuff to my kids I got a group me program or text with my with my team I send them stuff when I get it off of uh some whatever source I get it from I send it out to them. I think everybody should be open minded and you know be open to learn mm-hmm. learn stuff
0: so in you know fifty one years into the uh role in, in coaching um you, you know trying to Connect with today's youth, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like an old guy here. You know today's youth, you know, right? Too late. Uh, how? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Zach. <laughs> um, is it is it hard? Like, is it like really hard with social media, with, uh, with kind of the the mental state that a lot of teens deal with today? Um, you know, b- being bullied and expectations and constantly being connected via devices and all that. You know, how how do you feel about that, you know, compared to, you know, going back decade by decade, you know, easy to hard?
1: Or the flat-out entitlement of today's player versus the player 30 years ago.
3: So and we're talking about Utes, 15. right? Utes. My cousin Vinny, we're talking about Utes. Utes. What was that word
0: you said, Utes? Utes. Yeah. Utes? What, what are the Utes? The Utes of today. <laughs>
3: you know, everybody's brings up all, a lot of points, but uh, at the end of the day, <clears throat> I think, by and large, the kids still want the same thing. It's parents that have changed so much. And, you know, kids are influenced by it because they get the the ride to and from. You guys are familiar with John O'Sullivan, mm-hmm. the game-changing guy? He, yeah. He's, he's a great – he does a great job. That drive – that ride home is so bad, right? If we could educate the parents this kind of – and I think that was a big factor for us growing up back in the day is that our parents had to work. They didn't have to – they didn't worry about, you know, what we were doing. I mean, they cared, you know, yeah. but but go play. You want to go play? Go play. And we didn't have to pay to play, you know, which was another big factor, right? So yeah. there's just so many different uh, different things. And kids today have access to so much soccer that we never had. I mean, we were lucky we had soccer made in Germany on Sunday with Toby Charles, right? Yeah. I remember going to Kiel Auditorium when, uh, when uh, West Germany was in the World Cup Final and they were wearing green shirts, if you can remember back <laughs> wow. then. Wow, yeah. And yeah. you, know the, you know the type of screen that you would put, put up on like over here in the, in the room here? It was by the double doors there. Yeah. You know, you put that up in your living room. That's what they put on the floor at the Kiel Opera House. And then the chairs were just like they are on the floor here. And you paid 10 bucks to go in and watch that game. Oh, wow. That was the excess <laughs> we had then. I don't know when West Germany was in that World Cup, but it had to be somewhere like in the 70s, I guess, yeah. probably.
2: Well, I, I read a little bit about how you, because we didn't have the Internet when you first started coaching – We didn't have even espn no that you had subscribed to worldwide soccer magazine and you constantly were getting updated from those types of sources and I, i you walked in here and you had your notebook you asked each one of us our name and you've stuck with that there's only one other person i've ever met that's ever done that and it's kit bond Former governor of Missouri <laughs> would always look you in the eye, always make contact. That's not a political oh, okay. statement, but here's here's what I'm getting at. <clears throat> You've been coaching for 51 years. You just talked about group me <laughs>
0: with your <laughs> current group me players. My, yeah, yeah.
2: You referenced several books and several outlets where you're still getting your information, and I just, I, I just, it's, that's really. Cool well, to me because yeah, where well, you're at.
0: Well, let me let me ask a question. You you said 51 years uh, coaching and 48 teaching. Yeah. What do you teach? What, what classes?
3: Well, I, I taught Spanish mostly. Really? Yeah. I taught uh, health and PE uh, back in the day when I was physically able to do that. But I taught Spanish most of all the years.
0: Huh. Yeah. All right. We. Um,
3: so where were we at with the? What, what were? I missed my question. It
2: wasn't really a question, more just a statement about how. I feel like you're answering some of my questions, which is how how you stayed so relevant for so long. And oh, I we're think talking it's, about kids, right? Yeah, it's right. just your connection to the kids, where they're at. Like you said, the kids <clears throat> haven't
3: changed much. Yeah, there's your group me. so much growth. Scroll through all that. <laughs> yeah. You and know, unfortunately, and, my, most of my kids don't pay any attention to it. <laughs> but
2: you're still connecting with them, and they're going to remember that. Oh yeah. And I think that's what's a, a key to that longevity, but also your relevance. I mean, a thousand plus wins. In any sport <laughs> is unbelievable. But to do that, and, and I, this they is like 45 connection. games a year. For,
1: Not and <laughs> he was coaching. I'm, just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
2: But I got to make one point. Usually, Jared, you and JB are able to talk about all the different people you played against and all the coaches because you guys were big shots. I was not day. a big shot. Uh, yeah. Well, but here's the thing. I grew up in Washington, Missouri. I had nice hair, though. We played CBC <laughs> my senior year in the fall of 1996. Oh, my. At CBC. Wow. And we were up 2 0 at half. Washington. Now, my guess is, Terry, you put in some guys that might need a little extra playing time early on because <laughs> you are playing Washington. But <laughs> he's going to be like. <laughs> that was our
0: freshman squad.
2: If, I think it was. Uh, but. You guys came back, and the first goal they scored, our goalie got a little arrogant, came out a little too far, and one of your guys blasted one from the end line, basically. It bounced twice, and he dove backwards to try to get it and missed. And that was the first, and they ended up winning three. Three to two. Mm. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to be relevant for just one (laughs) minute in (laughs) any one of these soccer-related conversations.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. Did you did you play? Did you guys play CBC?
1: Uh, We I did not play CBC because at the time, in my era, it was so um, class orientated. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, they were. You guys were class four, I think, when I was in high school, and we were class three. And we were plus on the other side of the river and maybe, frankly, just not good enough um, well, to, I, to schedule them. Yeah, I, I, my,
0: the, our years we played at the original CBC yeah, on Clayton Road. The real, CB, real CBC.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it was um, – I played with all the kids that went to CBC and had multiple good friends with, with, with a lot of them. I, I have a question to, um, you know, kind of a middle 2000s question with being a high school soccer coach for 51 years what um, you've been very successful so you you, you have overcame the rule change um, what is your opinion um, in the late 2000s when the development academies came out and they um, it was frowned upon to have kids play high school soccer okay let me go back real
3: quick to what, what this f- first question was all about I try to, to get to deal with these kids I try and do two things I try and play kind of middle of the road yep in other words I have my beliefs and concepts and principles that i want to hold on to and i know they they're coming from a little different place so it's it's not really a hopefully it's not a tug of war you know hopefully i pull and release as much as much as i pull i release so is you know if i and if the key no matter what anybody says is the key is a buy-in i can have the greatest ideas in the world if you don't buy into them then, then it's not going to happen absolutely right, right. so i got to convince the kids Uh, And and at my place, it's not so hard because the tradition is so strong that I've not had a team in in all my years that that didn't have a goal to win the state championship, you know, and the fact that we've been lucky. We've been in 16 state finals. We were 9-7 and in state finals. I mean, that's like almost once every three years you're in a final, you know, which is ridiculous. (laughs) But that's what kids want, you know. Last year's team was, wasn't the best team. We ended up with 10 losses, but we were in the final. We got to the state final. Wow! And uh, you know, could have won it. Next year, we got a lot of guys back, and what's the goal going to be? same thing, right? So that's that's a big part of that answer. I mean, and I keep trying to stay up updated. And here's another thing: I stay out of the way in the off season. I let them have their off season. I don't go hounding them. I don't go watching them. I don't check on their coaches and see how it's. Because that's their time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, it's like the old Caesar gives to Caesar with Caesar. When they're with me, it's, it's, it's the same way in reverse. Stay the, way, stay, stay the hell away. Yep. I, you know, I don't want anything, any interference. We wear practice clothes every day. Everybody, Every kid in our program, we got about 100 kids in the program on five teams, they all wear the same practice clothes on Monday. Or it's this, Tuesday, it's that, or whatever. It's to build unity, right? So that's what we do. Now, what was that other question? Uh, That's about the, the academy? academy. Yeah, oh, so. academy! Yeah, interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. The first year of the of the of the mandate, where you had to play one or the other, we lost eight kids to the academy, and beat Chaminade to win the state championship. There you go. That was a happy how moment, many, man. How many did Chaminade
1: <laughs> lose? Chaminade had Tommy Barlow. There you go. So, how many kids currently are enrolled at CBC that would be playing soccer that aren't?
3: I think right now I think it's down to three, but our goal, our theme that year, it was 2012. Our theme that year was let's be the best of the rest, because oh, yeah. Shalmanour is going to be the best, no yeah. doubt. And if we play the best, let's beat the best. So we got them down in Blue Springs, and we know we won two nothing, unbelievable. That was so cool. How we, about had, that? We, had we had the pep rally. We had the pep rally at school, and those eight kids sitting from the academy were sitting there on, and this, on the stands, you know, <laughs> dying to wish they were out on the floor getting some applause. You know?
1: Yeah, exactly. But, the but the that state was final, so cool. Two St. Louis teams in Kansas City. Yeah, happens often. Yeah, well, it, you...
3: we played Rockers in the semifinal down there, local team, right? Mm-hmm. We we had more kids. Show up to support us, and they do. We had three busloads of kids go to Kansas City yeah. to watch us beat Rockers nice. when Rockers didn't have it, that many kids.
0: Yeah,
1: so it's it,
3: an- answered a question. First of all, I want to say this what, what, uh, this is maybe a little bit fast forward from your question. What uh, STL City is doing right now with Lutz, and I have so much respect for Lutz, my God. Yeah. Uh, when we had the stars back in the day, right? That was the first uh, attempt at pro- professional soccer. That was, like, in the mid, late 60s. And, like, opening game, they played at Bush Stadium, back at Bush Stadium 1, 2, or 3. I forgot which one it was. <laughs> yeah, and they had uh, 37,000, 33,000 people, I think, at the game. First game, opening game, right? But that wasn't professional. You know, Rudy Gutendorf was the coach. He was German. George Mihaljevic was Yugoslavian. He was a local guy at Transplant. He was an mm-hmm. assistant coach. And he brought over a bunch <clears throat> of Europeans. And then had, sprinkled in with some St. Louis guys, you know. And and it was a nice team, but it wasn't professional because uh, the, the environment wasn't the same. What Lutz has done down there right now is has created a pathway which we've never really had before. The previous pathway was school, CYC, right. high school, college, hope to get recognized. Right now there's a pathway, and you guys know you got kids right in the, in the program. That's yep. the pathway, and it goes right up the scale. Uh, years ago, Dale. Chile, myself and a few other guys met at cbc and we wanted to try to visualize what a pathway might be at that time and it was the us uh, ysa soccer something like that had a pathway that went from U- u7 up to like u19 and in their program they had the usl and the usl was like levels one and two we said okay and then above that was mls but it was separate So why doesn't somebody get together and move one underneath the other, and you got a pathway all the way up, right? Right. We never had that before. It never happened. Never happened. It's like Project 2010. Never happened. You know, it was a great idea about how the U.S. would win the World Cup in 2010, sat on somebody's shelf for a while until the dust collected, and then they just discarded it, right? Nothing happened take that back development academy was the only thing that really came out of that project 2010 so we we've, we've had uh, opportunities to move forward and sometimes we just kind of stop short of where we need to be which is unfortunate but the but but the pathway is there right now lutz has done a great job everything about what he's done there is professional and when those kids and i'm sure your boys will know when they walk into it they know it's special oh yeah you know so there's a higher expectation. Yeah. Um, Everything is professional, and to be a professional, you got to understand what what that really means, and you got to learn it as you go through through the the ropes. So you know, and also circling back previously, it's going to take time to change our culture and our mentality. But this is the first change of significance that we have right now through through Lutz, and what he's created is that there is now a pathway.
1: And you know, and and as long as it. But that's just in St. Louis. That's that's not a national pathway. I mean, which there is other national pathways. Um, Yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but so so here's here's my question for you.
0: Kind of extrapolating off of um, uh, what you were just kind of generalizing with Lutz and City, and you know, talking about kids that are in academy versus playing, and you know, the eight that had to sit on the bench. you know when when you go back and in when you snapshot your uh, experience in in the St. Louis marketplace and in, in your school and your titles and all that, and, and you get to today, and you look at the the level of academy quality, uh, you know, both here at, at Gallagher with City, you know, the the Fuse teams, etc. You know, looking forward, you know, you, talk about the balance of. Pride, excitement. I mean, because you clearly had a finger in 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 the foundation of uh, of why this is thriving. You know, it's you know but we we just have been talking about it for close to an hour. Um, wh- are you are you are you enthusiastic with today and tomorrow? Um, you know, n- n- knowing that you played a large role in that.
3: Let me tell you this story. Uh, not too many years ago years ago we were playing CYC championship game final <clears throat> on field 5 against against Collinsville on a on a uh, Saturday night it was Saturday night <clears throat> on the main field on field number 1 Gallagher Academy was playing Chicago Magic Academy field 5 was lined from end to end bleachers were completely full kids were standing around the corners of the field to watch CBC and Collinsville play a high school CYC game in the in the field one you could have introduced the fans and it would have taken less time to introduce the players there was nobody there for the academy game I always thought oh my god that's that's disappointing so my my hope would be that at some way shape or form over time that the academy generates more interest and enthusiasm you know and and supports those kids in, in a in a stronger way high school you got you got to, every game hits the papers right Right. Every every result's in the papers. There's weekly articles. I mean, there's a lot of attention. You, 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 where do you go to find it with the club stuff? It's not there. That would be a starting point. You know, they need to get better coverage so that people know what's going on. I, I couldn't tell you hardly any – I couldn't tell you anything that's going on with the club, with the uh, academy stuff right now. I really don't. Um, I don't know rosters. I don't know who's who. I mean, I know I have got, three, I think, three kids at CBC that are currently in, in that from kids that tell me that, you know. Mm-hmm. So – I mean it's exciting it's exciting but it really has to go somewhere you know how it gets there you got to be consistent with your idea and then you got to get some publicity you got to get a push you got And a it's push. tough
2: because you know our kids are at that 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 same inflection point where they're going to high school they're watching their peers get <laughs> accolades and get cheered on in pep rallies and get to wear their school's gear and yet they're competing at a very very high level but nobody knows. And it's really difficult. And it's, it's a weird psychological situation that I don't think they've really thought through too much
3: yet. But I like that you're going to that, that point. Well, here, here's the bottom line. This, I keep going back to this. It's culture. Yeah. Our culture just isn't there yet. First of all, I, and I don't know this for, for, for sure, but I got a pretty good idea. What is the average salary for the MLS player? Average, not the top 10 guys, but the average salary. 65. Yeah, yeah. that's probably about right. That's that's the number that I would have, right? Now, if you're a parent, you guys are parents. We're all parents, right? When your kid has an opportunity to either, A, pursue a path of maybe professional soccer, which is like a, what, less than 10% success rate, or go to college and get a degree, with a college degree, do you have a chance to make that much or more guaranteed with a better guarantee than you have of being a professional athlete, Right. you know. And then, right. secondly, you know, it's, it's not like U.S. players, the average U.S. player is in demand around the world. So, getting back to U.S. soccer again, too, until we develop a world a world class player, which we haven't developed yet, the the answer then is you got to develop a team that can that can sustain itself. You know, if you have a team that those 10 field players and the goalie actually play like they're 15 and they're just overwhelming and swarming and, you know, never give the ball away and always do this and do that, never do everything right, pay attention to all the details and do it right, then you got a chance. But right now it's too, it's too chaotic, you know? I mean, we've got great individual talent in, in our current World Cup team as we've all seen, but there's still something missing that it's not coming together as a way that it could. What that is, is is like that guy looking for the key in the wrong spot, you know. because he's got a a light, he's looking for it, and, and the key is somewhere else. It doesn't work that way. You got to hit the right nail on the right right head.
0: Let me let me ask you a specific question, and this is this is a uh, probing question uh, in regards to national team player. Uh, go back to the World Cup. We all know the Berhalter of fallout. Um, suffice to say, it seems as if the issue was. Geo coming into camp, going into the pre-World Cup training, apparently had a, quote, bad attitude, uh, was called out by his peers. Uh, Apparently, it was settled. Berhalter took the path of, in his own words, of letting him know that you're really not going to basically play a part in this process. Uh, And then we have the ensuing fallout. I'm I'm just going to ask you if if you're Burhalter, with Reina Raina being who he is, what do you do? Do you do you bench him too, or do you play him?
3: I got to think there's more to it all than just that just that's too easy. I mean, it's not it's not an A to B to C path. I don't think. I think there's some some missing steps along the way here. Because well, because Raina was was a, was a uh, recognized player under Burhalter in correct. the previous games, right? I mean, he didn't. He didn't have a just have a dislike for him previously. Correct. You know, so I mean, he's in the he's in the build up to play, and then all of a sudden he's tell "Okay, you're going to go on. You're going to go with us, but you're not going to play." I think that was ridiculous.
0: So yeah, because you know we've talked a lot about uh, the role that culture plays, not only uh, you know with with your teams historically within the region, and the lack of potentially culture at that level. Um, you, you know, Rain, Rain, Raina at the time. He was he, he was one of the best players sh- should have been one of the best players on the field if he would have been on the field so if the goal is to win you know I, I, I don't understand that so I'm just kind of wondering what your, you know if, if you can extrapolate just a second further is there a line that a player can cross if they are that good that would warrant the bench starting point is soccer is probably
3: the most subjective activity that you can get involved in. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, four right. of us sitting at this table right now. If we watched if we went out and watched what was going on in the field and asked each of you, Jared what'd you see, Zach would you see, JB what'd you see, Terry what'd you see, we'd all probably say something different. Because we all see it differently. Yeah. You know? It's it's that's it's that simple. So until you get some kind of a straightforward uh a straight forward philosophy that comes from the top
1: a measuring stick that's universal
3: yeah that's what i'm saying it's got to be consistent you know and then you, then you can say this that or the other right so uh you know now with the u.s soccer in the state that it's in we're, we're uh, <laughs> uh, ernie stewart who was a good good man he's out he's now at psv <clears throat> came over from O Z in, in holland came with from two big time clubs psv is this big a huge club over there and you know He's gone from us. I mean, is this a case where this is the right guy in the wrong situation, and right. it was where people not listening to to him? You know, uh, who's in charge? You know, I guess you get get to a point where you finally have to say, who's in charge? The inmates running the prison, or what? You know, that's a good question. Um, because for your sake, I mean, what, so the U.S. started three guys started at number nine, varied a little bit, right? It's Tim Wea, who I thought had a really good tournament. I, too, I yeah. thought he had a great tournament. And Pulisic on the other side, right? So where does Rainier fit into that? Or maybe he goes back into the midfield, but then you got three guys in the midfield, then he's not going to bump out Musa or uh, McKinney or, or, or uh, Tyler Adams,
1: right? I so, think so what you said play? earlier is everybody predicts it or sees it different. And I think simple as this is Burhalter. Rainier was his odd man out in that lineup with those names you just specifically mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And
3: in that case,
1: it's like, yeah, you got to be direct.
3: But I think, I think he could have handled it differently. It's like, hey, Gio, I know what you do. I like your game. You got a really good game. I got this guy and that guy. I got four guys for three spots.
1: Well, you know, let's well, look. and Aaron's in the ball too. Aaron's Yeah, yeah. and, and well. also
2: Gio's nineteen. So the other guys are not a lot older. But had
1: how old's Musa?
3: Oh, Musa's no young. 18. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a, teen. he's yeah, a teenager too. But he wasn't yeah. in
2: the same position. Just <laughs> bear with me. I'm just trying to give the benefit of the doubt a little bit. That 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 structural question is intact. Meaning, we had people fill in those spots. You didn't match up enough to get on the field to make an impact. Your, I don't know
1: your your mini camp um, preseason camp. Attitude didn't help things either. Correct.
3: Yeah. So, but, I, I, you so, know, but um, what came first? Did uh, did his attitude and stuff come before uh, Burhalter told him he wasn't going to play, or did it come afterwards? I was under the impression it came afterwards.
1: That's yeah. what my impression is as well. Well, so, I mean, given
3: that, you kind <clears> of <throat> you kind of understand that. But if that was his attitude beforehand, then Burhalter's 100 percent right. You know, you got to really jump his butt. You know, if he's starting, if he's that way with no reason, and now that he's got a reason, it's not any much better. But at least he's got a reason. You know? Yeah, I, and and Rea and, and Geo, I think, are two totally different kind of players. Very, you know. So, what are you looking for in that in that position? You know, you're not going to take Polisic off, and neither one of them can probably play the nine. So, you're you're really limited. If you if you like one over the other, you're going to go that way. But that don't mean you got to make the other guy feel like he's nothing at all. He's no good.
2: Yeah.
0: So if if I kind of uh, refresh this whole take. According to you, um, U.S. soccer is in shambles, and you've got the answers, and you're ready for. It. <laughs> yeah. According to me, I'm a nobody. Who just has
3: everyb- an opinion like everybody else. No, get right.
0: no, I think it's funny because it's like again, you know, you, you bringing up the whole subjective aspect of the, the game in general. Um, you know, it is one of the game. It, it is the game that subjectivity is, you know, front and center. Um, and, and I think it's funny because you know we can all sit here and we look at it. And at the end of the day, you know, I I I personally look at the national team, and you know, if you thumb if you Caesar somebody, thumb up, thumb down. It's like the NFL draft. Put, put the right. We we don't have a defined style. We don't have a defined culture. They so they let's at least athletes. put the best eleven, yeah. no matter what, because typically in all sport, when you have the best athletes. They're the best athletes for a reason. Um, that that whole "it" factor, right? Yeah. They can figure that out. And I think at some point, if our coaches historically have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have not structured or constructed a winning strategy or a winning format, at some turn it over to the athletes and let's let's work through that process. Because in my opinion, they left one of the best athletes off the field, and we needed goals. We weren't getting goals. We needed goals. And it's a funny thing about soccer, because if you do score more goals than the other team, it usually ends win. up, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, Brian Shire is really good at
2: explaining how you win in soccer. You I score mean, more goals than the other team. I mean, he could write a book. He could. Two pages long,
0: yeah. and it's a bestseller.
3: I, I, I came ask. up with a philosophy that seems to work over the years, too. And I tell my kids this. You score the first goal, and you get a shutout, you'll win. Amen. <laughs> hey it's that it simple. Sense. You don't need two pages for that. No. <laughs> oh. no. That's Secret just on the title. Cent, score the first goal.
0: Get a shout-out. Game's over. You win. Yeah, that's that's not even a book. That's a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm, I want to ask one works.
2: random question, which is if we rewound the clock 51 years and we added some big mustaches and sideburns and we did the Soccer Dad podcast in 1971, your first season. I said, Coach Mickler, congratulations on becoming the you know, the, the new head coach of C B C What do you think your tenure looks like here at C B C? What's 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 gonna make you decide it's probably time to move on to a new venture? In nineteen seventy one, what would your answer have been? for that question. Yeah,
0: what was your plan B?
3: Partly <laughs> partly, what it's always been, and, and I always tell people that I've been given the, the, the challenge to maintain the gift of the keys to the castle, keys yeah. to the kingdom, right? Because I played through there. I knew what it was all about. I knew how how it impacted me. And I knew that now I got a chance to, uh, to continue that. So it was never about me. It was always about me providing for those kids that have that opportunity. So my goal as a coach has always been the same. Give the kids the best opportunity that I can possibly give them, you know, and go from there and see where it goes. We're so, you know, to answer to another, yeah, part, of answer, another part of the answer, love another that. part of the answer, though, Zach, is that uh, I was at a national convention one time, and and uh, and uh, Shallis Hinman, who was the coach at SMU at the time, yeah. and the president of NSCA stood up in front of 10,000 people and said, I wish I could go back 25 years to all the teams that I coached over over that period of time and apologize to all of them for the coach I was at that time because I feel like I'm such a better coach now than I was then.
1: And wow. Shellis was don't, a damn good
3: coach with a lot of success. Couldn't we all do that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, that just rocked me when I heard that.
0: That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, so... Fifty one more years is likely not in the cards. <laughs> Let's go fifty one more days. Yeah. You know who knows. Uh, do you ever think about passing the baton? You know, does does that do, do, do you do you sit around and like contemplate that?
3: All right, a couple of years back, my assistant Tom fairshan uh, is my age, year older, grew up neighboring parishes, got knew each other for a long, long time. Uh, left the teaching coaching profession. Right, so I had a top assistant spot open. So I did what you're saying here, uh, J.B. I gave it some serious thought, you know. And now as an average school said, just let us know who you want and we'll see what we can do. So I brought in one of my former players, Randy Roy. Randy played for me in, on the 85 team. '85 uh, No, 05 team. I'm sorry, 05. I had, Randy was one of seven freshmen that I kept from from, from their freshman year on. I had seven kids that played four years for me. As freshmen, I started like seven freshmen at one year. We were 15 and 10 with seven freshmen starting. Hmm. Over four years, they won 100 games and two state championships. So there was a pedigree there. You know, there was really wow. good stuff. And so Randy was my pick. So Randy came on board. He was going to be my f- successor. Yeah. But he was part-time. And uh, he graduated at SIU, played over there. And uh, needed uh, was getting married. I needed some real money, you know, not, not volunteer money. So he got a job out of Francis Howell in the middle school and was teaching there and couldn't coach for me. And a bunch of years a few years go by and, and school goes, Hey, listen, the school says this on their own. Hey, Mickler's getting kinda kinda old, you know, no no telling how much longer he's gonna be around. We need to have somebody in his place. They went out and sought Randy. And they brought Randy back as a teacher and a coach. Hmm. So he's already in place. Randy's in place.
0: So he's the guy. He's the guy. Well, you heard it here. Did, did, did people hear it here first? Or are we First
3: second? public announcement ever. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, we can go on and on and on. I tell you what we need to do, because uh, I know Ken's out there working with some kids. We'll bring you back uh, a little bit later, maybe before the season starts in the fall. Uh, we'll sit Ken down so he can explain to you why he screwed up so bad. <laughs>
1: wind Man, up his Ken. Dad already
3: told him. His dad already said it. He did it himself. So.
0: Well, Terry, <laughs> this has been a pleasure. This has been so much fun because, I mean, it's just, you know, again, this is another time capsule uh, in, you know, being presented here. Um, congratulations on all the success. Um, you know, obviously, good luck this next year coming up. And uh, we'd love to have you back again, when, you know, whenever you're interested and you know, keep keep us posted, and uh, we we can let you off the hook now. You don't have to keep listening to our dumbasses. Oh, no. you know, it's 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 all good. Can I leave with one one last
3: statement? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And and this is I'm I'm taking this from Tom Byer. I have become a real advocate of Tom Beyer. and Tom's success speaks for itself. But his gospel message to the world of soccer is please start at the entry level. It's not at the elite level that makes a difference. He studied every top player in the world that he that he could, right? Every one of them started at home yep. with a with some kind of a ball, with a parent, probably a dad, in, at least encouraging them to keep playing. I sent you a clip on that little Ted thing from yep. the 7-year-old girl. I saw that. Unbelievable. And it shows in there the development of the brain. At birth, prior, prior to birth prior to birth, at birth, one year at, at age five the birth the, the brain of the human is 90% percent developed into the adult brain at age five. Tom Byers swears and he has research from Stanford University that if you start kids at two years of age with ball mastery, the old curve curver stuff, mm-hmm. yeah that they, they learn to focus, concentrate, and build self-esteem. And by the time they finish that period of time from maybe two to five or two to six years of age, that they are ready to move forward and, as, and they would be probably leaders. They'll be counted upon to, to show their way. All because of what they get out of this tiny little number one ball that they do at home and, and a parent would, would just give them encouragement. So it's the entry level that makes more of a difference than the elite level. And that takes time. Like I said, China has contracted him. With their goal being make this thing happen by 2050. Hmm.
0: 2050. That's a lot of Labradors running that ball back to the little <laughs> one. <Yeah. laughs> I'm sensing a business opportunity, uh, fellas. Yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> For <But> the one <laughs> child household, we'll we'll pick up a bunch of uh, r- retrievers. Um, you know, great stuff, Terry. Really, really appreciate it all. Go go ahead. But here's here's <clears a> more <throat> anecdote. We pro,
3: we presented a town buyer to the local MLS team. We, Tom Byer's been presented to a lot of different U.S. entities. They've they've rejected him. Hmm. You have a theory? I guess they look at gift horse in the mouth and say, go your own way. I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. It's disappointing. It's disappointing yeah. uh, when he's got a track record that proves it. I think there are about six players off that Japanese team this year, plus a number of females that have been through his program during the course of their development. Yeah, yeah. you're right.
0: So okay so th- is this his first year then with the uh Chinese system?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean he just I think he just signed a contract recently. Yeah. So
0: was he the one scouting our players with that balloon this past week?
1: <laughs> yeah, what happens oh. to him if he doesn't yeah. play? <laughs> oh boy. Well played,
0: JB.
2: You and like you <laughs> like well that. Well played.
0: <laughs> Well, my other one was, uh, you know, you you mentioned that the uh, development occurs, you know, between two and six. Um, Jared, you being seven, there's still hope. You're not that far away from.
1: <laughs> I am extremely developed for seven.
0: <laughs> All right, here we go, guys. Uh, Terry, thank you so much, thank man. It's awesome. So oh, we got much. gifts coming out here. Wow, we got scarves. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We've got uh, state title scarves from the CBC. Oh, my gosh. This has been a lot of fun, Terry. Good deal. Anytime, anytime. I'm gonna you, keep listening to you too. I
3: enjoy your broadcast.
0: Well, thank you. Anytime. Now I know the camaraderie is real. It's it's, <laughs> it's <cool. laughs> yeah. Yeah. This it's hard to script this type of like synergy between us losers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Very true. And you know I think I'll sleep good tonight because I think I got almost everything down that I wrote down in my books.
0: So. Well, I tell you what. what <laughs> it, it, if if you forget anything, text me. I'll I'll drop it on the next episode for you. We'll dial you in. Uh, Jared, thank you. Zach, thank you. We are uh, rolling out with in a town this size, Mr. John Prine. That's right. Um, but kind of apropos, you know. With, I uh, agree.
2: I, I, I heard it this morning, and I thought, man, this would be so great to, when we're talking to Terry. Because in a town this size of St. Louis, how many people have been influenced by soccer and how many connective tissue Yeah there's so much stuff going on and i love it
0: yeah no thank you again uh take care good luck with this upcoming season i'm sure we'll be in touch um you know if we really botch anything on a future episode please give us uh you know write it down in your notebook shoot it our way and we'll fix it for you thanks terry keep up the good work all right take care guys